0: I invite you this morning to dwell with me with the conclusion of Matthew's Gospel. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. A word from the Lord. Well, here we are. Easter is over. It's been two weeks since the church worldwide celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. Easter decorations are put away till next year. For anyone who actually decorates for Easter, I'm not one of them. I just know there's a lot of pastel colors involved. Everything we could cram into an egg has been eaten, and all of the sugar hives that our kids and us from stealing their candy are gone. Walmart has probably sold all of the leftover Easter-themed candy by now. And we're already looking forward to whatever our next big thing is. So for a lot of us, especially down here at the front, next big thing is not school. Yay. Um, I'm just going to say neener, neener, neener. My last week of class is next week, so... (laughs) Enjoy the next few weeks. Um, But there's not a whole lot that happens between Easter and the end of school. You know, our egg baskets are empty and so are our expectations for this part of the year. Yet some elements of Easter still remain. We still did the Lord's Supper this morning because we happen to be part of a tradition that does that every week. Um, Not all Christians do. We are some of the ones that do. We eat and drink, and in so doing, we proclaim Christ's resurrection until he returns. In our officially scheduled times of worship, even though most of our worship isn't scheduled, we tend to sing songs celebrating resurrection, songs rejoicing that Jesus has conquered death, songs that Jesus has granted us our freedom. We've just read the uh, part of Matthew that most of your Bibles are going to call the Great Commission, and if there's ever a time to feel like doing the stuff in the Great Commission, it's right after Easter. That stuff is sort of fresh on our minds. You know, the stories about Jesus coming back from the dead are powerful stories. And in this season after Easter, we really like to look at the stories of Jesus ascending to heaven. You know, the longer ending of Mark is, he's got, he's got this ascension story, it's pretty short. He says, "So then, the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them to the disciples, uh, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and proclaimed the good news everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by signs that accompanied it." Luke, in traditional fashion, has another ascension story, and like Luke, is a lot longer. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. There's some great stuff here. Luke likes the Ascension so much, he's going to tell another Ascension story at the beginning of Acts He really likes this. And in that one, Jesus leaves the disciples with a promise that the Holy Spirit would come on them in power. And we remain in the aftermath of that promise. The promise of God dwelling in his people. Even today, after Easter 2017 is finished, we continue to dwell with these important and inspiring stories. But we are left with a question What now? It's the same question we face every year we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, the same question we ask every year that we're kind of actually let down that Jesus hasn't returned. What now? What do we do? How do we live lives that proclaim the good news of Jesus? What sort of practices do we practice? How do we treat people? What sorts of Attitudes do we embody in the meantime? Because there is kind of a sense of disappointment with the yearly celebration of Easter. I was talking with uh, Jake a few weeks ago. We were trying to plan stuff for uh, the Easter family retreat, and he mentioned that the Lord's Supper is something of a sanctified letdown. That this is a holy thing we do every week, and every time we do it, it's a great celebration, but at the same time, it's a little bit disappointing. That the things Jesus promised haven't happened yet. Yeah, we proclaim the resurrection, we proclaim his return, but he's not back yet. And I think that there's a, a similar sense of disappointment with Easter. How do we balance out faith and faithfulness with this sense of letdown that Jesus hasn't returned? We may find ourselves asking questions like what if he's not coming back? There is some good news. We're not the first ones to deal with doubt. You can take that off your shoulders. You're not that important. <laughs> There's this piece of text in the sermon text that we often miss because we want, we want to rush to the red letters. We like hearing what Jesus said. We want to know what we're supposed to do. There's a little bit that we miss so let's slow down for a second. Take a look at the disciples instead of Jesus for a moment. Let's see what they do. They follow Jesus' directions to go to Galilee, to some unnamed mountain. They see him, they worship, and they doubt it. The people who followed Jesus around for two years, who watched him outsmart lawyers and heal lepers, doubted. Now, I'm not saying we should follow their example. Usually, the disciples are great examples of what not to do. They're kind of dumb. They miss the point almost every time. So, in fact, we do have a lot in common with them. <laughs> we miss it a lot. Every time that they miss it, Jesus is hes, he's pretty solid on saying, you missed it. He's going to say, you of little faith. He's going to say, weren't you paying attention? He's going to let him know. He's not soft about that. And if we're the ones asking questions of what now and is this for real, then we can rest assured that we're not the first ones. And this text is important for a lot of reasons. There are a lot of fantastic things there. But to me, some of the most interesting things aren't what is in the text, it's what's missing. There's some stuff that I feel like we should expect to be there that aren't. And these things are strange and important. First, Jesus doesn't rebuke anyone for doubting. He doesn't say, you're wrong. You have little faith, why did you doubt me? I'm here, I've got the holes in my hands... What's up? He doesn't say that. I feel like we should be able to expect that, and he doesn't. It's not like the Lord of the universe couldn't tell that they were doubting. He probably knows. In fact, he's Jesus. I think he gets it. He knows and he says nothing about it. And their doubt did not stop their worship. Jesus doesn't tell the disciples to stop doubting either. Now, Matthew tells us that the disciples doubted, then Jesus says something remarkable. Jesus says, I have received all authority in the known universe, and I am with you every day until the end of the age. Their doubt is covered by Jesus effectively telling them, I am greater than your doubt. Now, Trust is a pretty important thing. There are lots of great texts that you could preach trust from. This isn't one of them. We've got that song, Trust and Obey. We're not singing it today. I love that song. I grew up hearing that in the first church I was at as a child uh, in Odessa. And that song always reminds me of Maroon Carpet. Like, really bad Maroon Carpet. Occasionally, however, though, blind trust makes for problems. I'm the middle of three boys. Some of you have probably met my brothers. Ross is the older one. He's older by about four years. Jacob's the younger one. Another four years there. And when Jacob was about six and Ross was 14, Ross had this idea. And he told trusting little Jacob, hey, if I put on this sock and kick you in the face, it won't hurt. Yeah. Guess who got kicked in the face willingly that day? (laughs) That was an important lesson for Jacob. I hope he listens to this recording eventually. For that time, blind trust was a bad thing, but it was an important lesson for Jacob that you don't trust your 14 year old brother. Don't be that. You see, it is okay to doubt. Doubt is not an inherently bad thing. In fact, I think it's healthy. A healthy sense of skepticism keeps you from getting kicked in the face. There is healthy skepticism. You don't have to believe everything you see or hear or taste or touch. Anyone ever use like mint flavored toothpaste? I like the mint flavor. It makes my mouth feel cold. When I was a kid, I thought it gave me superpowers. I thought I could freeze stuff with my breath. I thought I discovered something amazing. I was wrong. Um, it, it didn't you know, cool anyone off when I breathed on them. In fact, it was the exact opposite effect. Um, it's not like any of us have ever done that to my wife this morning. I figured out from experience that just because my brain is telling me my mouth feels cold, it doesn't mean cold is happening. And that's like a really normal, average, everyday sort of thing. The same is true for uh, the entertainers we call illusionists or magicians. Um, It's a means of entertainment based on deception. Not, Not like you're being lied to. It's not a bad thing. But you're being convinced you saw something you didn't. Or you're distracted from something so you didn't see anything at all. Uh... Every year on my mother's side of the family for Christmas Eve, we have a talent show. And my grandfather is something of an amateur mus- uh, musician. Uh, he, he's, he is sort of an amateur musician. He plays the tuba, but that's irrelevant. Um, he's an amateur magician also. And he he knows lots of great tricks. He can't do them as much anymore because his hands don't work the same way they used to. But when I was a kid, I was always amazed at the little guillotine he used to chop this carrot in half, didn't cut off Ross's hand, even though for kicking Jacob in the face, maybe he deserved a little bit of it. Um, it was amazing. and It was so cool. And there were all these great tricks. And as I got older, this you know, a healthy level of skepticism started creeping in. Something told me, maybe there's not something actually magic about that guillotine. I don't know what the trick was. I still haven't got that figured out, and I never asked, and he's probably not going to tell me because magicians don't tell you. They're not supposed to. But, you know, something tells me there's something going on there. It's, it was healthy to take a step back and think, I don't have all the information here. Based on the disciples' experience, is it really any surprise that they experienced doubt? Now, there's only one raising from the dead story in Matthew that isn't the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus goes to this guy's house, this girl is dead, um, and he raises her from the dead. You know, everyone is weeping and gnashing teeth. And Jesus brings her back, except he tells everyone she wasn't dead, she was just asleep. Now, if the disciples take that seriously, if they take that literally, then all of their experience says dead people stayed dead. I'm not surprised that they doubted. Someone says his body is missing, something's gone wrong, and then they meet the guy. Something is going on here. And there's no rebuke of doubt. And that's Weird. And then there's more stuff that's missing from Matthew's gospel. There's no ascension story. Jesus never goes anywhere. There's no promise of the Holy Spirit like in Luke or John. Um, there's no additional material like in Mark saying there are going to be signs that accompany your message to you know, sort of bolster it. Matthew just sort of ends. Jesus doesn't go anywhere. And I think this is on purpose. The very last thing Jesus says or does is all authority in the universe has been given to me and I am with you every day until the end of the age. The disciples doubted and Jesus doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't leave them behind in this version. How many Christians in the early church struggled with the question of what now? I mean, there's a spot in Mark where Jesus says, not all of these stones will fall. Not all of my disciples will die before I return. And that didn't happen. How many people in the early church had to struggle with that question of, okay, how do we make sense of that? What are we supposed to do anyway? How many people in the rest of the history of the church have ever doubted God? How many of us have ever Doubted God. You know, there are definitely moments where we wonder, is God going to come through this time? And then there are the other moments of doubt we experience where it's like, is God actually there? Is God real? I have had moments where I wondered, is God real? Where I've been praying and I finish and I think, if the thing I'm praying to isn't real, this is ridiculous. And it's, it's an unsettling feeling. It's disturbing. How many of us have ever wondered after reading something like uh, the beginning of Acts, you know, it says, Jesus is going to send the Holy Spirit, um, and the Holy Spirit is supposed to come on us. Did that happen to me? Did I get the Holy Spirit? Is that ever going to happen? And I think here, Matthew is offering a different perspective on what it means to be faithful. He doesn't say the disciples doubted, then they repented of their doubt. He doesn't ask them to. They're not supposed to repent of doubting. Doubt is not a weakness here. So if you're feeling doubt today, that's okay. Okay. You don't have to wonder, does God hate me because I doubt him? Because he doesn't. Jesus doesn't hate Peter or John for doubting him, then. It's not like God looks on the world and says, No one has any good reason to doubt me. There are reasons. Scary things happen all the time that we wish God would take care of, and he doesn't. And that's unsettling. If the people who knew Jesus best doubted him, what sort of chance do we have not to doubt? They still doubted and Jesus leaves them with a promise. He does not promise to remove their doubt. He says, all authority is mine and I am with you every day until the end of the age. People, Easter this year is over. And if we're still left wondering what now, then that's okay. If we come to worship full of doubts, that's okay. In our reading earlier from 1 Kings, the people are speaking a prayer and they say, May the Lord our God be with us. May he never leave us or abandon us. They're not saying God will never abandon us. They're sort of expressing the hope that he won't. They don't know for sure. Even then in that prayer, they have doubt. They call out to God that he would be present. And much later, God wraps himself in flesh and says, Okay, I will be with you until the end of the age. I would love to give you some sort of super inspiring message that would convince you never to doubt again. But it doesn't work that way. The disciples doubted. So are we. We're going to. It's going to happen. But that didn't stop their worship. Jesus still promises to be present and still says, I am bigger than your doubt. And when Jesus promises to be with them as they go out into the world, it means a lot for us too. We've got work to do. But we don't have work to do alone. The work of worship looks a little bit different if Jesus is actually here. The Lord's Supper looks a little bit different if Jesus is the one actually handing you the bread and the cup and praying over you. The work of sitting down to a meal with family and friends and perhaps more importantly, strangers and enemies is more important when the Jesus who did that first sits with us at our table. And as we ask the question of now what? Matthew does not ask us to put aside our doubt but to go anyway. Because Jesus is bigger than our doubts. He has all authority in the known and unknown universe. And we may rest, even in our doubts, in his promise, I am with you every day to the end of the age. So let us stand and live out that promise.